Welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. Now, let's jump into the episode. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Bush, and I'm delighted to be joined by Lucy Hoffman, who currently serves as co-founder and chief operating officer of Carry First, Africa's number one mobile publisher. Lucy, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Aaron. And I love that we decided to wear matching green tees today. Yeah, that's a, a special sneak peek for all of our YouTube watchers out there. I get to see us us matching today. So truly delightful, but really excited to have this conversation today with you, Lucy. It's going to be a fun episode. We'll discuss the mobile gaming opportunity in Africa, dive deep into Carry First mission and strategy and talk about life as a founder and company builder. But first, before we jump into the weeds, let's just spend a, a few moments setting the foundation for those who don't know you or, or carry first at all. Uh, and maybe to start with you, Lucy, I know you spent most of your career prior to carry first in investment banking, and then your chief of staff at the African Leadership Academy. Can you just quickly tell the story of how that worked and what you were doing before carry first led you to the games industry and specifically deciding to found this company? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I grew up in the U.S. Um, as you mentioned, I started my career in investment banking at Morgan Stanley in New York and loved my time there. And I think the best thing to, to come out of it was that I met my now co-founder, Cordell. Um, we were both sort of just out of university um, in these really, really intense jobs. And um, unlike him, he went in pretty traditional path into private equity, I decided to do something a little bit more risky and move to Cape Town, South Africa to work for a startup. And that was really the start of my entrepreneurial journey. Came down and worked for a, a fintech, um, which we ended up selling in about two years. And then I met uh, founder CEO of African Leadership Academy and really loved the vision. They were trying to build um, really the, the premier uh, educational institution for the best and brightest students across Africa. Um, so I went, worked in Johannesburg for five years, growing that, did a little bit of work to scale into the university system. And the best part was just working with, you know, t 16 to 20-year-olds from 46 different African countries and getting to know them and really believing in the promise of the continent. Um, but I, you know, basically spent the better part of a decade working with founders and um, about five years ago, Cordell called me up and he pitched me on starting Carry First together. Um, you know, he, he was in private equity. He worked for the Carlyle Group, was instrumental in setting up their first sub-Saharan Africa fund, moved to Lagos, Nigeria. Um, he's originally from Sierra Leone, so back to West Africa, and started doing some in, you know, angel investing in tech startups in Africa and realized there was just a huge opportunity in mobile content, right? It was like fast growing, massive population of people coming online for the first time, entirely from mobile devices. You see a lot of innovation and investment in, in digital payments. And we just thought it was a great time to build a, a, a company that was focused on what people do when they actually get phones, right? And it's like, connect with family and friends, be entertained, that's mobile gaming. And yeah. yeah, I just got really excited about the vision. I'm somebody who, you know, every time, every point in my career, I've wanted to pick what I considered to be the next biggest opportunity and one where I could contribute. So, um, you know, having worked with founders before, I was like, yeah, I have some ideas around, around how we get started, how we go from zero to one. Never worked in gaming, um, but I'm a lifelong gamer. Um, and so just got really excited about the vision and it's been a journey ever since. Awesome. Well, that's a really exciting story. And, um, I, I want to spend some time later in the episode, just talking about, again, just how you think as a founder building, building in across this continent. Um, yeah. but before we do that, we should probably just spend a moment, um, 
telling people what Carry First is, maybe just at a high level. Uh, Lucy, would you mind just sharing what the Carry First mission is and maybe paint a picture of what the company looks like right now? Yeah, sure. So, so we're Africa's biggest mobile games publisher. Um, we always say our mission is scaling awesome content in Africa by solving hard problems. We're a games company, we're an Africa pro- company, and we're a problems company. Um, so a few parts of the business, um, we publish games. And so we work with folks who have great IP and we help them publish across Africa. Um, we've just started developing our own games that we will publish on a global stage. Um, to do so, we've built out a payments platform called Pay First. Uh, it allows our games to better monetize in the region and our gamers to be able to buy content that they love. Um, and we've built out a really awesome and pretty unique publishing apparatus that is, allows us to really better understand gamers across the region, um, serve them, engage them, create with them. Um, so yeah, so that's Carry First in a nutshell. Great. There's so much to unpack there. And we'll spend most of this episode unpacking the different parts of what Carry First is building and, and how it all works. Um, but but before we do that, I, I want us to spend some time zooming out to, to better understand the unique market dynamics and opportunities of mobile gaming in Africa. So from a, a high level, I think it's easy to see why Africa poses a large opportunity, right? It has a large growing population. It's increasingly developed. It's increasingly online. But what is the state of mobile gaming in the continent now? And are there any other mobile region-specific reasons why you're excited about this opportunity? Yeah. I mean, it's always sort of useful to work with metaphors and one that we found really helpful is, is actually looking and comparing where Africa is today to where Southeast Asia was about 10 years ago, right? You have over a billion people, um, diverse geographies and languages, uh, about the same GDP. Actually, if you look like side by side, they're most exactly the oh, wow. same. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. You look at credit card penetration, almost exactly the same. And uh, mobile phone penetration actually in Africa today is higher than what Southeast Asia was 10 years ago, but that's not really that surprising, right? And you look at that and Southeast Asia today represents something like a $10 billion gaming mobile gaming market. Um, and that's really kind of where we set our eyes when it comes to thinking about the market and the market opportunity and growth. Um, you know, when we think about Africa specifically, you know, 1.4 billion people, 1.1 billion people under the age of 40. That is more than the U.S. and China combined. Wow. Right. So like we're talking about massive secular growth. Everyone's talking about incremental growth. You look at like Japan's demographic tr- trends, and, like <laughs> they don't have any young people. <laughs> um, and so this is really where the, the players are going to be. Um, And then you just think about other things, just like cultural trends, right? Like Burnaboy selling out Madison Square Garden in New York, right? There's just, there's a huge amount of sort of culture that's being created here. Massive, dynamic population coming online. I think it's a really, really exciting region. One that folks aren't really focused on now. We always, I think the first thing I hear in most of my conversations is, I'm really sorry. I don't know anything about Africa, to which I'm like, that's okay. There's a reason. (laughs) But I think, you know, five years from now, seven years from now, it's going to be a focus area for most. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I I guess, too, from the outside, it's it's hard to understand the nuance of, of the region. Like, again, it's uh, you know, it's notable to to spot all of the trends for this continent as a whole and go, wow, yeah. that's really interesting. It's a big place <laughs> with big opportunity, but but maybe, but it's also unfair to homogenize, right? Like an totally. entire continent. So so maybe we don't need to spend too much time on this, but could you maybe just like unpack a little bit, like beyond just Africa at totally. a high level one word, like like where like where are specifically, we? Where, yeah, where are the opportunities? Like, what areas are you most excited about? Maybe country by country or region by region? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. So we actually, we really focus on eight 
countries um, in Africa. And those eight in sub-Saharan Africa, we have Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, South Africa. Across North Africa, you have Egypt, Morocco, Tunisia, Algeria, right? Really big markets, 500 million people there. We get something like 75% of the GDP of the continent. We think most of the mobile gaming market. And each of those places is wildly different. Wildly different, right? You know, you think about cultural preferences, language, humor, uh, like it's what preferences they have in terms of games, right? There's some similarities, but that we think there's some genres that will do really well in some markets and maybe not as well in other ones. Um, so we actually take a, a pretty nuanced approach within those core geos from a publishing perspective. Um, and then from a payments perspective, they're very different. And, and actually, each of them requires local understanding. It requires actually a lot of infrastructure. So like underpinning our payments infrastructure is the fact that we have corporate entities across all of these countries, that we actually trade in local currency, that we understand how to move money out of the country and remit to our partners in U.S. dollars, right? So like understanding the nuances of, of customer behaviors, uh, the different sort of uh, geopolitical trends across the continent is like extremely nuanced. I get most excited about a few markets that I think are just extremely di dynamic and underserved. I think most folks have South Africa on their radar, right? It's in many ways has a lot of customers that look like tier one whales, right? Right. There's so like, you know, there's a lot of attention placed on South Africa. Um, and we're starting to see even like the country be better or the players in South Africa be better served. Um, but Nigeria, man, country of 200 million people, 200 million people. Like it is wild. And they, it's super dynamic it's very young, very engaged. The average Nigerian spends two and a half times more time on social media than the worldwide average, right? They're online, they're consuming content, they're creating, and it's such an exciting dynamic market. That's the one I get really, really pumped about. Awesome. Well, I could probably spend an, a full hour just talking about you know the different dynamics of of the region and such. But we should probably spend most of this episode really digging into to carry first and more strategically and tactically how you're thinking of actually succeeding um, yeah. in in this landscape. So maybe let's let's shift gears um, to to talk about carry first a bit and. Uh, maybe to start by by my math, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Carry First has raised approximately fifty six million dollars in venture funding, including twenty seven million from from early this year to tackle that massive opportunity in front of you that you laid out. That's a lot of money. So I'm just curious, why why raise so much? What are you investing in um, that yeah. so aggressively that that needs so much funding? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, honestly, it's been awesome to have the support of our investors. I think particularly in this climate that they continue to believe in our vision, both in the short and the long term. Um, right? We talk about building the Tencent of Africa or the Garena of Africa, but to really have investors who understand what we want to achieve over the next 18, 24, 36 months has been great and really back us. Um, so that's been awesome. I mean, as we've discussed, and we'll we'll unpack more, uh, Carry First is building a, a a pretty complex vertically integrated business. Right, we're not just building games, we're not just publishing games, and we're not just building a payments platform, but we're doing all of the above. Right, and so you know the funding goes into how do we build this this pay first and continue to invest in its success, so that we can continue to reach more players, give them the ability to buy content and reach more partners that can see and unlock sort of the scale potential in the region, right? So that's a big part of our business and our investment going forward. Obviously, we've started building games. Um, now that we actually have a team of people with some experience building games on side. And, uh, and so, you know, investing behind that. And finally, we, we want to work and publish the best IP in the world. 
And you don't get the best IP in the world without being able to truly support its growth and have the balance sheet to do so. And so, you know, I think having some of the support, financial support, allows us to go and really think big about the partners that we're going to work with and, uh, and come to the table. Awesome. So I, I want to talk about the different pieces of the business, but maybe before we do that, just to have a slight tangent, what did you learn from the, the fundraising process? Um, I'm, I'm curious how that, how, that oper- or how that experience went for you and what you took away from it uh, and, and learned along the way. Man, fundraising. Uh, fundraising is such an important activity as a, as a founder. Um, I mean, that sounds kind of obvious, right? But but really for two reasons. One, you really have to pick your head up and understand what's going on in the industry. And actually talking to investors is, is really helpful, right? It makes you sharper as a founder because, they're, you know, all investors do all day long is talk to folks, right? right. So come with a perspective or are asking the hard questions. And so it's, I mean, it's really, really difficult, but I think it makes you better. I mean, the other thing we've had to learn is, is also to still have our own compass, right? You've seen over the last 24 months, you know, 2021 was insane. It was like growth at all costs. How can we grow faster? Hire a 20-person Web3 team, and and then, you know, five months later, it was, what's your burn look like? How are you managing headcount, right? And I think throughout the ups and the downs, it's important as a founder to sort of remain sober, right? To, to really understand what you're trying to build, what's important, what, what, are the, what are the clear next steps towards building something of value for the long term. So you don't get pulled in too many directions where like, you know, money is free and grows on trees or the world is ending. Like it's always somewhere in between. Great. Yeah, that's great rational advice. Uh, thanks for, for bearing with my, my tangent there. Um, no, just, it's just fine. Just thought it was interesting. Um, but let's, and for, and for founders listening, uh, I'm always available on LinkedIn. If you're struggling with, with fundraising, I have very tactical advice, but that's like a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Uh, but let's go ahead and go back to talking about the pieces of, of Carry First. We can we can dive a bit deeper into those. But uh, maybe just to, to summarize um, what I think I heard and what I have studied up a bit in preparation for this podcast too, it seems like there are uh, maybe four key ways in which Carry First is looking to, to execute on its mission and grow. One, you're developing your own games. Two, you're publishing others' games and sort of through that also building your own payments um, platform. Um, three, I also read that you're licensing third-party games. And then four, and lastly, you're acquiring games to improve, relaunch, and publish at scale. Um, would you say that's a, a fair summary or uh, have things changed or did I miss anything? Yeah, it's a pretty fair summary. We break it into sort of three components. We call it games, publishing, and, and platform. Um, mm. so, so games, you know, we can license games, acquire games, or build games. Um, publishing are all, obviously all of the efforts to get games into the hands of our gamers. And platform is the infrastructure by which we can better monetize that content, right? And give people the ability to actually engage with it more fully. And that's really uh, more of like the technology that we're building and and it's what we call now pay first, um, which you'll hear a lot. Okay, cool. Thanks for thanks for clarifying that. Um, so I guess we can walk through those different pieces and yes. maybe starting with publishing, which seems like a, a pretty huge focus of yours. Um, and to start there, maybe you could just walk me through the the full stack publishing vertical. What what services do you offer, and who are you serving? So with full stack publishing, um, again, we can serve our own games, um, right? So the games that we're developing or have acquired, um, or we can service games that we license. And from full stack publishing, it truly is full stack. It's thinking through distribution, right? Obviously, App Store, Google Play, but you know, folks are discovering and downloading and sharing games through other channels, particularly in emerging markets. 
Um, so having some sort of differentiated understanding there is super important. We fund and manage all user acquisition for the games that we publish. And when it comes to user acquisition, we're talking creatives, making sure we're localizing creatives, app store optimization, thinking about language optimization in our various geographies. We do influencer marketing, offline engagement, competitive play, right? For, so truly a full stack sort of go-to-market approach across our games. We live operate our games. We think about pricing. Pricing is always sort of a conversation with our partners. They're really strict around global pricing schemes. We can operate within that. If they're more open-minded, we can think about unique pricing within our geos. Um, customer service, VIP management, truly, you know, all of the activities that make a publisher. Um, for games where we have a regional license, that publishing is limited to a certain geography. And then for games typically where we uh, own, that we own, we publish them on the uh, globally. Cool. And what's the the snapshot of where you're at in your your journey with publishing? Like, how many games do you serve? Um, like, what have you learned along the way as as a publisher so far? Especially, I mean, you mentioned um, you know managing a lot of UA, and I imagine like the the mobile gaming landscape has it's changed quite a bit over the past couple of years regarding UA and. Um, so I imagine, I mean, many companies have seen change and I imagine okay. um, you've adjusted in some way too, but how, how has all of this gone for you? Yeah, I would say it's been going well. Um, going well and ex I would say accelerating now. Um, so, you know, there are a few games we've published. We did a partnership with Tilting Point where we published SpongeBob Krusty Cook-Off. We've done a few, published a few other games with limited success. The one that's had sort of the most traction is a game called Mine Rescue, which we published and then acquired. Um, it was a hyper-casual game. We wanted to introduce some like hybrid mechanics. Mm. Uh, so acquired it, kind of gained a little bit more control over the roadmap. And it's been really fun kind of working with that IP. Last quarter uh, in Q4 of 2022, um, we did a publishing uh, pilot with Activision for Call of Duty Mobile in South Africa. And that was a huge success. Um, you know, obviously, it's a massive IP. We were super excited to work with it in South Africa. And I think their big question was, are there players there? And from, you know, the start of the campaign, before we launched, they had something like 25,000 active players. And within six weeks, we'd like 7 x it. And wow. it was just, you know, consumer press. We had a big influencer, a hip-hop mu musician called Nasty C that's also like a diehard COD player who was the ambassador for the campaign and just brought a completely new generation of players onto the game, playing competitively. We did a massive esports and hip-hop concert event in Johannesburg. Had like 5,000 people show up. And that was just awesome because, you know, we we've seen all the numbers, right? And I just like rattled them off to you. But to actually watch folks come out, and, and we had some reservations, right? Because Call of Duty Mobile is not a light game. It's not meant for your shitty Android device, right? So we were wondering how it would fare. And the truth is for great IP, people make a plan. They just get the better phone, right? It's cheaper than a, the console. And that's the market we're operating in. So that was a, a huge, huge win for the organization and, and hopefully a sign of what, what we can do for, for a partnership going forward. And for, for publishing, um, it, I, you mentioned that it covers your own games. It covers partner games such as working with an, an Activision for Call of Duty Mobile. And I know I, I read somewhere else, too, you're going to start working with Riot Games um, as well this year, which is another big win. So congrats on, on both of those. Um, but uh, for the focus of publishing, is it really just to serve the world coming to Africa? Um, or is the focus also serving more like game developers in Africa and I guess help them succeed in the region, but maybe outside the region too? How do you think about that? Yeah, one of the games that... Um we've been working with um, was actually developed by a studio based in Ethiopia called Kenny Games. Some of the most brilliant game devs on the continent. And they came up with a really cool version of Mancala, 
Moncala is like an ancient board game. It's been played all over the world, very popular across Africa, India, Pakistan, Middle East. Um, I actually played it growing up. And it has different names in every single one of those countries, by the way. Mm. Um, we loved this game. We love the team. We're really excited about it. And actually, in our market tests, it performs even better in the U.S. than it performs in some of our African geos. So that's when we're actually excited about uh, taking this concept, like homegrown in Africa, and bringing it to the world. I think that's a that's a big part of our mission as well, right? Is really helping our sort of local game devs have a platform um, to learn and to grow. We worked with, uh, we did a partnership with Crazy Labs last year where we incubated game devs and taught them sort of like hyper-casual mechanics. And one of those teams from Kenya, Mikin Games, um, created a game that was then published by Crazy Labs. And it was the number one most downloaded game in the U.S. on Apple and Android in June of last year. Is the biggest success success story for an African game dev, um, cool, and like definitely inspired them. Now they're they're hiring, right? I love stories like that. That's great. Um, yeah, I love stories like that too. Um, so really interesting to hear all the all the success and growth on the publishing side, and look forward to seeing how that unfolds over the the next year or two as well, and how that accelerates. Um, one piece, maybe this is more on like how you categorize like the platform side of things, is yeah. pay first. Um, yeah. And this this is a part that kind of popped out to me as I was uh, studying the company, just because of the unique payment dynamics in the region that you already talked about a little bit, just how different countries have their own means of, of how they pay for things. Um, could you maybe just talk about the like the importance of carry first, like why you're focused on this and like what it really brings to the table for for you as a company totally yeah so so while our customers you know they have phones they're buying data of internet and they want to play games uh they don't have credit cards credit card penetration is very low but google and apple uh, basically rely on credit cards right so if you're downloading a game from one of those stores, um, it's very likely that they ask you to have an internationally compatible credit card in order to make a purchase. And so we're missing out on willing payers for content. Folks who actually want to buy, but can't. And so Pay First, uh, we developed it to essentially give gamers the ability to buy content leveraging payment methods that were available to them and most popular in the respective geos. So, you know, we do all the hard work to set up the corporate entities to integrate with payment service providers across the region. Right now, we offer over 90 payment methods, just to give you a sense. And so, wow, de- and yeah. with in each of our geos, at least the top three payment methods, and they're very different, right? So in Nigeria, it's bank transfer. I will literally like buy 100 gems for you and send it to your bank account. Um, Kenya has the most vibrant mobile money market in the world. 80% of the GDP of Kenya flows through M-Pesa. So people pay using mobile money. And in South Africa, everyone, you know, there's a more developed banking system, but most folks have debit cards, not credit cards. And so in North Africa, cash economy. So we're talking about like cash to digital transfers, leveraging sort of partners on the ground. And so, you know, we've built out this infrastructure that essentially allows us to plug into all of this payment infrastructure across the continent, but only through a few APIs integrate it into games that we work with, right? So from a, a game that wants to leverage Pay First, it'll take less than 10 hours of an engineer's time to integrate into Pay First, and they've unlocked a whole market of folks that were unavailable to them before, right? We in a, in a world constantly searching for incremental growth, there's such a clear lever, right? So I think that's why it's gotten people excited. Um, you know, reaching players they already have, but just giving them the ability to deepen their experience um, and, and actually like pay for content they want. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. And it seems like a, a unique source of competitive advantage 
too, and being able to build a platform like this that you know is technically complex and is able to serve <laughs> so many people in, in so many places as like part of a bigger ecosystem. And I, I want to dig into to more of like the the gaming parts of of what you're building and investing in too. But another just founder related tangent. Um, you know, it's hard to to not you know study and look at Carrie first and um, you know th- not be impressed by like how much you all are doing. Um, and you know, like as a, a fellow co-founder, I'm looking at this like, wow, it's it's almost like you're not just building one company, like you're building like several different verticals and pieces, like almost founding like more than one company uh, within yes. this one company. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you've gone about managing that, at, especially at such like so quickly and at such an early stage, and what you've what you've learned along the way of managing that complexity. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to say that we, I think, one, we have a core commitment to our overarching sort of mission, right? And so, and we believe that the way to get there is through complexity, that it's like complex by design, not by chance. And um, so we've chosen it. So I think that that's the first step is that you that we chose it, right? It didn't happen to us. Hmm. I would say the next one is just making sure you have an awesome team uh, that's delivering and, and ensuring that they understand how they fit into the bigger picture, but have enough clarity on what they need to do, what their next best step is in their respective domain so that they can continue building their particular pillar, Right. And so I think that's been super important is like having the leadership there, having the team there um, that's really kind of building and has the autonomy to be creative and to build with ultimately having the vision in mind. Right. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll, we'll spend a bit more time towards the end um, talking about culture, but, but maybe just since we're, we're on this right now, could you, could cool. you maybe just share like how big is the, the carry first team right now and, and how long has it taken to build up to that point? Yeah, so we're about 85 people today. Um, when we started in 2022, we were about 30 to just give you a sense of growth. Um, yeah. We're five years old, but most of that growth has really happened in the last 14 months. Um, and it's cool. It's, you know, working on all parts of the business. We're fully distributed. So uh, there is no HQ, as I mentioned. We, you know, we have folks across Africa, um, but also Europe, uh, India, and a few folks in the U.S. as well. How do you how do you manage the remote work side of that, or what have you what have you learned scaling under that kind of environment? Yeah, I think routine is super important. Rituals and routine is super super important. So we have. We're very intentional about our weekly schedule and the time that we're taking with respective teammates and teams as a whole company together. We have company rituals. Twice a week, we meet as a full company um, for different reasons. Some of it's business, some of it's fun. Um, We instituted something called travel perks so folks can actually go and visit colleagues, um, get together as teams and actually work in the same place. And in December, we had our first all-staff retreat in just, in just in Cape Town, and it was awesome. Just like linemen getting to know each other, sharing some laughs. Yeah, so I think, I mean, there's only, we most of Carry First has been, we've built basically post-pandemic. Um, and so we've grown as a fully distributed remote company, and we've built that, we're built in that way. Very exciting. Um yeah, as a as a fellow remote first company, figuring out how to, you know, build a team and operate across different countries and time zones and and such. Uh, yeah, it's all it's all inspirational to hear how you've managed to scale that up. It seems I will pretty say successfully. The one thing that I know I, I realized last year, I think I spent eighty percent of my life on the road last year. And I was like, oh, so a remote team just means that the founder is always traveling. Um, So, you know, to go meet with teams (laughs) in different geos. And it was great. I had one of the best years of my life. But 
yeah, it was that was notable. <laughs> good point. Good point. Uh, well, we got a little sidetracked here, all, all for for good reason. It's all super interesting. Yep. But let, let's go back and finish talking about kind of the, the pillars of carry first. And uh, let, I guess the the last main pillar we haven't touched on is the game side, which mm-hmm. um, again, you're developing your own games, uh, you're licensing games, you're acquiring games to to then um, fix up and, and relaunch in some kind of way. And maybe we can take that step by step. Um, so when it comes to maybe we'll start with licensing third party games, um, what is the strategy there and how has that gone so far for you? Yeah. So it's really cool. I mean, we, we have a, a, a few sort of like hypotheses in, in, that we have around like what games will do well, right. Based on what we've seen in the market, heard data we've crunched, but also just looking at like other trends, right. For example, in Nigeria, 16 out of the 20 most searched terms in Google relate to football. Football is a religion in Nigeria. And so we have like a very we have very strong conviction around the need to publish a football game or several. Um, so football is big. We, you know, parlor games that are well known across the region are really big. But then looking at some of uh, the ones that we you, that already do really well, right? Most of our gamers are 19-year-old boys. Shooters do really well across the continent, right? So, you know, talking to the usual suspects, but there are also a bunch of emerging studios who are building interesting games. So making sure that we're also connecting with folks that have sort of broken off from these big corporates, have started their own studios, have some cool concepts in, that they're incubating, and just getting to know them early on. Right when Garena licensed League of Legends, Riot was still a startup, and that's a great you know framework for us to be thinking about. Is like what's the next League of Legends that we need to be talking about, and how can we how can we educate them on serving emerging markets from earlier in the development? Um, So that's a big part. Working with AAA is, is massive, right, and it's a big part of our strategy but also working with hidden gems where we think there's a genre that's going to appeal really well with our customers. There will be some really exciting announcements over the next few months on new games that we're going to launch in the market. So I would just say stay tuned. Awesome. Sounds exciting. Um, and Curry First, as, as we've lightly hit on, has also expressed interest in acquiring games where you aim to improve, relaunch, and publish them at scale. Um, and when you last raised money... Uh, uh, wherever I read that, it was also mentioned that you had acquired two games already. Yes. Um, could you maybe unpack this strategy a bit more for us? Why are you taking this approach? And it would be great to hear about your first forays into into the acquisition of game space too. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's super interesting time, right? So, you know, basically, with the two games that we've acquired so far, one's Mine Rescue, the one I talked about, hyper casual that turned hybrid. We really wanted to just have a little bit more control over the roadmap. And the second one is actually Gabetta. It's the game that was developed out of Ethiopia. And for that, you know, we wanted to make sure the game was well-resourced, that we could continue to build out on the roadmap and actually have that game achieve sort of the worldwide success it deserves. And so really it was making sure that the, the games that were in our site were like had the best chances of success. Um, as far as future acquisition, we think about it very similarly to uh, in terms of like sourcing from a licensing uh, perspective, right? It's like finding the hidden gems. Um, there are also games that like may not make sense for a Western publisher anymore. They've sort of like seen their peak and are on the decline where for us, you know, they haven't made any traction in the market. And, and actually, we think there's still some potential and it's a completely new market that's never engaged with the IP before. Um, and with some love, they could be successful. So, you know, we're we're looking at it really opportunistically more than anything. Uh, makes sense. And I know you're also interested in developing your own games. Um, yeah. And so maybe compared to like acquiring games, like when does it make sense to acquire for you versus build from scratch? And how are you going about, um, uh, since you're not, since I, I don't think any of the, the founders have a, a background in games, like how are you going about building the skill sets and talent and team to be able 
to to succeed at the succeed at this across so many games yeah. in different ways. So one of the things that we noticed uh, in licensing pretty early on was that um, there are very few games that are optimized for emerging markets. The no surprise there, right? Emerging markets, you're thinking about, you know, typically pretty low spec Androids. Our market's 90% Android. Um, intermittent connectivity. So, you're, you know, you have to make sure that if you drop internet for a second, your game doesn't crash. Uh, and we're, you know, specifically for some games, right? Um, expensive data, limited storage. So, so the, all of these are interesting dynamics. Um, and it doesn't mean you can't create an excellent game. I mean, Garena showed us with Free Fire, right? They, they just rebuilt the shooter from the ground up for low-spec devices and then had the most downloaded, top-grossing game in the world. And we think we can do that across different genres. So the reason we started building games was actually because we saw that there was a need to build even casual games with this low-spec mindset in mind, right? How can you create excellent, engaging, fun games that like literally anyone would play, you'd want to play, I'd want to play, but actually work for our customers um, that, you know, are operating in different environments. So it's more a technical approach. Um, came up with that decision with our board sort of end of 2021. And obviously the first thing we needed to do is bring on a team that had built games before. Um, as you mentioned, you know, none of the co-founders came from the gaming industry. We were very humbled by our creating a game ourselves in 2019. Um, and uh, and we were, uh, I think, like truly blessed to bring on our VP of product on the game side, Varun, who joined us from VUGA, where he was game director for June's Journey. Prior to that, was exec producer at Scopely, you know, as a producer at Zynga, a super experienced guy. Um originally from India, right? So he had this empathy for emerging markets. He completely understood our mission and he's built such a kick-ass team around him. You know, folks, product and game design, art, engineering, um, and actually working with third-party studios. So right now we have a couple games in production, but we're working with partners, um, working with teams that have built games before together. I mean, we provide a lot of guidance around the vision for the game, the product, game design, art direction, but, you know, really want to, to partner with the best studios to actually execute against this vision. Great. Well, that sounds also really exciting. You got a, a lot yeah. of stuff cooking across Carry First, um, so it'll be, it'll be really fun to see where, where all of that goes. Um, at the Towards the beginning of the episode, when we were talking about uh, just like the opportunity across Africa, um, you were comparing the, the opportunity in some ways to Southeast Asia, where Sea Limited and Garena uh, were, were able to succeed as publishers. And even you could say, you know, Tencent as a publisher in China or something like that, th that too, by uh, extension. I'm curious, I imagine you've studied these companies and how they operate uh, and in these emerging markets. Um, as you're building out all of the pieces for your own um, your own publishing operation, development operation, what lessons have you taken from those that have succeeded elsewhere in the world um, before you? I'd be really interested to hear your take on that. Yeah, I mean, one that you can build a really big business by focusing, with, like with laser-like precision on the needs of your customers, right? So Garena, everyone knows Garena today because of Free Fire, but when they went public, they were publishing third-party content. Their MO was distribution and monetization, right? And it was like, you know, it was internet cafes. They had, they had a, a network of internet cafes and they were on the ground with their customers. They understood where they were. They understood what games they played. And that's what, that's what created the value for that company. And on the back of that, they use all of those insights from publishing to build, again, one of the, I think, most successful games of the last decade, right? And so there's a ton that you can learn, but importantly, it's about truly serving your customers, knowing them, being on the ground with them, solving hard problems, right? Part of our mission. So I'd say that that's a big one. I think relationships matter. Um, part of Tencent's success is Garena, and part of Garena's success, success is Tencent. And they, 
And I think that sort of long-term orientation is, is a model that we'd love to replicate with our partners, right? How do we make our success your success? And how do we make this so that we're well incentivized to partner for decades to come? And, and actually, you know, everyone's share price will go up because of the partnership that we have with its long-term orientation. So I would say those are the two biggest sort of takeaways for us. Uh, and I think, you know, we're, you know, keep them as a North Star. Gotcha. That makes sense. And maybe just as a quick follow up, this is maybe too radical of a question. So we could we could skip it <laughs> if you want. Um, but right. I know the, those other companies too, like with Tencent, for example, part of why they were so successful in gaming is because they also built out a social media arm. And totally. uh, with with Garena, you know, uh, you know, they kind of spun this game thing, the profits into an e-commerce business. Is there a world in which Carry First um, you know, expands beyond games and, you know, you succeed, obviously, first things first, you got to succeed <laughs> in gaming totally. and serving your customers. But is there a world in the back of your mind where you leverage that into something even bigger like these other companies have? 100%. It's, it's like radical and it's not radical because if you put the customer first, the next question is, well, what else does the customer want? Right? And we're building all these rails. We're building payment rails. And today, those payment rails help us process process the sale of pixels. But, you know, you can extend those payment rails to lots of other things, right? Um, and financial, one of the biggest fintechs in the world, it was embedded payments in Alibaba, right? It was built within Alibaba's ecosystem. And so I think, I mean, it's, it's kind of radical, but if we do our job well, it is definitely within the realm of possibility. Cool. Well, I'm glad I asked, um, but we're, <laughs> that, that would be fun. Uh, but I guess, you know, as we, we near the, the close of this episode, I want to quickly hit back on company culture for a moment. We already totally. talked about this some earlier in the episode, um, but from the outside looking in, it seems like you're growing fast. You're moving in, you know, a bunch of directions kind of in that, you know, managing the, the design complexity, uh, as you put it. Uh, you know, you're building new teams with different needs and skill sets. And I can tell from the team page and your work um, in the past on the Global Diversity and Inclusion Group at, at Credit Suisse that, that you care about how culture operates. So yeah. I just sort of want to, you know, pause and ask for a moment. Um, is just like any other thoughts or lessons learned um, about managing company culture, especially as a remote company? Um, especially in a new region. Um, yeah. Would just love to hear how you and your fellow co-founders think about this. Yeah, I care deeply about company culture. Um, it's core to who I think I am as a person. Um, you know, I, I think we spend so many of our waking hours working. And so I truly see no more important um, sort of mission for myself than to create an amazing place for people to spend their working hours. And, and so culture is really important. Um, as you mentioned, we're super diverse, right? You know, we're in 25 different countries. I've lost track of nationalities. Um, but beyond that, we're really diverse from our, our experiences, right? You have folks who've worked their entire careers in gaming. You have folks who've worked their entire careers in payments, and sort of like everything in between. And so I think uh, there are a few things that we do to sort of keep culture top of mind. I talked about having company rituals. Um, I talk about culture. Um, on Mondays, we have an all hands. And this, this past one, I did a reflection on feedback, the importance of feedback and some rules around feedback. Um, and talking about the importance of vulnerability with feedback. And it's really important to have these conversations out in the open because one of the things that happens when you work in a diverse environment is you don't have a shared language, right? There's no shared assumptions of how we operate. And so sometimes we just kind of have to say like, here's the operating system in which we're working and, and have those conversations awkwardly in remote work <laughs> Zoom environments where everyone's off video, right? So it's a challenge, but it's something, it's something I care a lot about and I think it's also important that while we work hard and we put the work first to have fun, fundamentally. So like, you know, we, we 
spend a lot of time joking around. Uh, we have a good sense of humor. Uh, we do fun things together as a company. Listen to music a lot. Um, yeah, and just try to keep it keep it light in between the grind. Great. Um, as we we come to a close here, I have two quick. We'll make them lightning round questions. Um, one, I just wanted to to ask you beyond carry first specifically. Is there anything else you find under discussed or underrated regarding the African gaming market? What else? What else should listeners be paying attention to in the yeah, region? Yeah, that's cool. I I mean I feel like <laughs> I feel like esports is never under discussed. It's usually over discussed. But we have some really competitive players on the continent that are super underserved. Right, like you think about like server infrastructure, their ping sucks, and they're still they're still competitive. Um, but you know, wanting to get leagues involved, wanting to actually compete on global global stage, I think that's something. It's not even core to our business, but it's something we care about and we're trying to to help. Um, yeah, sort of help catalyze. Cool. And then finally, if anyone wants to learn more about Carry First or follow you, where is the best place to do that? This sounds super nerdy, but probably LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn or Twitter, at Carrie First. I almost hate to say Twitter these days, but LinkedIn or Twitter. <laughs> sounds good. Uh, well, awesome. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for for joining, Lucy. It's been really insightful to, to hear about how you operate um, and how you're tackling the, the massive opportunities in front of you. And best wishes to you and the, the Carrie First team going forward. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Aaron. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, level up your insights with our premium research platform, Novic Pro, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.